Hallelujah. Well, since August of 2021, I have had people say, Pastor, why don't you go to the book of Revelation on a Sunday morning? You know, Sunday night after Sunday night after Sunday night, we've been working our way verse by verse through that book. We find ourselves in chapter 20 um, at verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And today, today, August, what is it, 12th, 13th? <laughs> 2023, we're going to go to the book of Revelation this morning. We're going to flip-flop. I'm actually going to go to Psalm 18 tonight. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it to Revelation, the 20th chapter. We're going to read verses 11 through 15, and I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come to this section of the book of Revelation, and Father, I pray that Lord, we who are your church, that God, we, we look at this with great humility. That, Father, we are in awe of that which you have rescued us from. And that, Lord, we would love you all the more because of it. Father, I pray that Lord, anyone who is here or anyone that ever hears my voice, if they are lost without Christ, God, I pray that these words will be very sobering to their minds. That, Father, the enemy of our souls, Satan, will not use these words to paralyze them with fear, but God, would you would use them to bring them to a place of brokenness before you to where they would cry out to Christ 
who is a merciful Savior. Lord, I pray that you will speak for me this morning. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Perhaps you've heard of the actor and comedian W.C. Fields. Any, anybody out there? I see a few heads nodding. Um, he was a talented individual, uh, but outside of his acting and his, his, his uh, entertainment um, side, he was not the most pleasant of humans from what I understand about him. Um, he was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. He was said to be, uh, he didn't like children. Maybe that was because he didn't have much of a childhood himself. But worst of all about W.C. Fields is he was a Christ-rejecting atheist. He hated religion, but he hated supremely Christianity. Um, ironically, W.C. Fields died on Christmas Day, 1946, from a... Uh, hemorrhage, gastric, alcohol-related gastric hemorrhage. Um, he died on a holiday that he despised. And it's told, and I don't know, but it's told that in the months prior to his death that there was a friend that came to visit him while he was in a local sanitarium in Pasadena, California and walked in and fields, atheist fields, I hate Christianity fields, was reading a Bible. Shocked, this friend was asked, Sir, what, what are you doing? Here was his reply. I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for loopholes. Wow, odd. A staunch atheist approaching the end of life would turn to the Bible to try to discover a loophole so he doesn't either have to repent or pay for his own sins. Kind of like a, a businessman looking to the law to find a tax loophole so he can get out of paying for his taxes. But I would tell you that on that day, unless there was some miracle of grace unseen by us, on that day, W.C. Fields discovered that the Bible is true and W.C. Fields discovered that it is appointed unto man once to die in judgment. W.C. Fields, apart from some miracle we did not see, discovered that day that there are no loopholes with God. I tell you, apart from a miracle of grace that day, he was put in the prison of Hades. We call that hell. And he was set there where he awaits now the great judgment and eternal incarceration that he would face in the lake of fire. Guys, there is, and we don't talk about it a lot, but there is a great and dreadful final judgment that is awaiting all who have ever died without Jesus Christ. 
It is, it is there. there. There is no escaping the great wrath to come for the unrepentant sinner. Our text in Revelation speaks to this very judgment. There's a day coming when the law of sowing and reaping will be ultimately fulfilled. It, it may look like the Christ haters prosper in their way. And it may look like, from our perspective, they have found some sort of loophole. But Galatians 6, 7, and 8 stand true. I quote Paul, who's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit there. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who, who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. End quote. Today in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, John has seen a most sobering sight. Thus, I title the teaching this morning, A Sobering Sight, The Great White Throne Judgment. He has seen something that he will never be able to remove from his memory. He has seen a holy horror that is certain and is true for all those who were to never believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I come to a passage like this today. I'm burdened for both saints and sinners alike. I'm burdened for the church as well as the lost man. Um, and I pray that the God of all grace will open all of our eyes to see the greatness of this judgment. I pray that the church will see, that we will see. We don't just get past the great white throne judgment, but that we see the great white throne judgment and realize that for which God has delivered us from and that we will be humbled by it and that we will, we will grow in our love and our adoration for Jesus Christ who is the mighty Savior who alone atoned for our sins that deserve the wrath to come. Then I pray and hope, as I prayed earlier, that lost sinners among us or who hear this message, that God will graciously sober their minds and bring them to a place of repentance and faith. I don't want sinners, as I've already prayed, to be paralyzed by the enemy of their souls but to be brought to a place of throwing themselves to the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, the, I have a probing question this morning for um, our text. It's a simple question. is what did John see? And I want us to consider what John saw. And there are five things that I would note for you that John saw in this passage the first thing that we can say that John saw is that he saw, according to verse 11, a great white throne. The text says, and I'll read it again, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Wow. 
John looks and he sees a great white throne and he sees he that was seated upon that throne. Now, here's the thing. John has seen this throne before. John saw this same throne in Revelation chapter number 4, verse 3. John saw the throne there, but there the throne was surrounded by a rainbow symbolic of the promise and mercy of God after the Genesis flood. This is the same throne that believers will stand before, but it will not be like a great white throne through the eyes of those redeemed, through the eyes of those who are the church. It will be the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ, and the experience of the church will be much different from the experience of those who are lost without Christ. But it's the same throne that He has seen. You see, this throne is the throne that, for believers, it was the mercy seat. It was stained with the crimson blood that flowed from Emmanuel's veins. But not here in Revelation 20. In Revelation 20, John is given... A vision of the throne as it looks like to those that are unredeemed, to those who are lost, to those for whom Christ did not atone for their sin. This is what he is seeing. Oh my. MacArthur says of this particular passage that we have the most serious sobering and tragic passage in the entire Bible, end quote. You see, the lost man will look, and the lost man will not see a throne encircled with a rainbow of mercy, but the lost man will see a great white throne. A great white throne, a throne of pure white holiness. A throne that is emanating with such a great and white, pure light, penetrating light, that all of their sins will be exposed. There is not anything now that is hidden from our sight that will not be seen for the lost man in that moment. All will be exposed. All will be seen. All will be brought forth. All will be laid bare. For the lost man. That's sobering. That's sobering to think about that. When they look upon he that sits upon the throne, they will not see the merciful eyes of a Savior. They will not see the Lamb of God, but they will see the terrifying glow of a roaring lion. They will see the lion of the tribe of Judah. They will see the one who treads on the winepress of the wrath and the fury of God as we saw already in Revelation chapter 19. That is who they will see. They will gaze upon one whose demeanor is so terrifying that the Bible says that earth and sky fled away from His presence. Couldn't get away from His presence. It was so holy, horrifying for unredeemed flesh. 
Wow. This is real. This is real. So he saw a great white throne. But number two, when we look at this passage, what do we see? We see that he saw the dead standing before that throne. He saw the dead standing before that throne. I'll read again beginning in verse 12. The text says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Interesting. Four times in verse 12 and verse 13, John says he saw the dead. These dead were standing before this great white throne. These dead came from the sea and Hades who, who, were, who were these dead that he saw. Well, the context makes it quite clear that these were the spiritually dead. These were lost men, lost women, lost boys and girls. Because he saw the dead great and small standing before the throne. When John says he saw sea and death give up the dead that were in them, he's speaking of the grave. In other words, he, what I'm saying is he's... John saw a bodily resurrection of lost people. He saw a bodily resurrection of lost people. So you only think about the resurrection in terms of the redeemed. But he saw a bodily resurrection. When John speaks of Hades, he's referring to the souls of the lost being raised up out of that place of torment to be joined with their resurrected, eternal, yet unglorified, not glorified flesh, bodies. You see, when a person dies without Christ right now, their soul is taken immediately to that place that is described by Jesus in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. He goes to very much, it's, it's alright to call it hell, but in the, in the Greek it is actually a part of hell. There are, there are parts of hell. It is the part known as Hades. The place of torment in Hades. And that is where all lost people go immediately. Their souls are there. But it, it, Hades functions like a holding tank. Okay, And then what happens at the great judgment, the final judgment, their souls are taken out of the holding tank of Hades. They are reunited with a body that will be eternal, but will not be glorified. It will still be corrupt. And they will then be sentenced at the great white throne judgment. And then they will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever and ever. And the lake of fire is a different aspect of hell, though it's very much hell. But that is the final destination. There is no one in the lake of fire right now. We saw that the first two that will ever enter into the lake of fire will be the beast and the false prophet. 
We saw that the third person that will ever be placed in the lake of fire will be Satan. And then following Satan and all of those, those that will inherit the lake of fire will be the unredeemed. It will be those that were never born of God. And there they shall be forever and ever and ever. And it will be right and it will be holy. Now, the purpose of this, I mean, this is, this only clarifies what Jesus taught. And let me, let me just show you what Jesus taught. In John, about the resurrection, Jesus taught this in John chapter 5. Beginning in verse 26, He says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. Verse 27, and He has given Him authority, that is Jesus, to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So there is a bodily resurrection of unredeemed, unregenerate, lost flesh. And they will be in that body forever, but not in the loving presence of God, but in the presence of the holiness of God, executing the judgment of God. In the lake of fire. The purpose of this bodily resurrection of the previously damned is not to determine if God made a mistake. Okay. It's not to decide who's done enough time in Hades that they can now go to heaven. This is for the final judgment and sentence to determine, listen to this, to determine the degree of eternal punishment in the lake of fire. This is why the dead are judged according to their works. And what the text, what the text says, that they are done, that they are judged according to their works. Well, that's justice. That's equity. That's equality. The lake of fire, get this, will be torment for all for sure. But some depraved sinners have done a little better than other depraved sinners. And I can assure you that the lake of fire will be much more tormenting to the child predator that sat in the church pew Sunday after Sunday and never repented of his sin versus the deceived Jehovah's Witness presenting a false and fake Jesus going from door to door in their sincerity, I would tell you that judgment will be different for them. That's only just. It will be eternal. But some people will be tormented worse than others. And it will be right. It will be right. So John, what did he see? He saw a, a great white throne. He saw the dead. Those dead that were standing before the throne. But number three, what did he see? He saw books that were opened. 
In the passage I already read, I'll highlight this section of it again. He said, and books were opened, then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. What's he talking about here? The text says there were books at the beginning. He said books. There were books. Books, that's plural. So that term books has got to be referring to at least two. There were at least two books that were open. And then the text says, and another book. So we know that there were at least three books. Three books that are open here at the great white throne judgment. What, what are they? What are they? Well, we know clearly one of them is the Lamb's book of life because he, he tells us the book of life. He tells us, and we know this is the Lamb's book of life. We, we know that from context. Now, what are these other two? Well, it seems to me, first of all, they're being judged on basis of what they are done God is remembering their life. So you can think of it as if there is a book of remembrance. Okay? That there is a book of remembrance. God, for the redeemed, for those that have been washed in the blood, God remembers our sins no more. But for the lost man, he remembers exactly what you did last Friday night and he holds it over your head. He knows. He remembers every single time you rebelled against His holiness. And He remembers it to hold it legally over your head. He remembers it. Well, as God remembers your sins... The other of those first two plural books, I believe, is the law of God. As contained in the Word of God. That what they have done will be weighed in light of what the law says. And obviously, the law will be not kept. But that's what he's, he's doing. And even those that have never heard of the law of God. The law was written on their conscience. Guys, it is by no accident that you can go cross cultures. You can go from one culture to the next and the moral law of God is apparently stamped on their heart. They may never have heard of the Ten Commandments. You better believe that it's against the law to murder. Okay, or steal. I mean, you know, certain ancient cultures had some pretty stiff penalties. Have you ever heard of Hammurabi's Code? <laughs> that the point is, the moral law of God is stamped in the conscience of all men, and we will bear witness and give an account for how we have rebelled against it. And then... There's another book that he tells us is there. It's the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Lamb's Book of Life 
contains the name of every single individual for whom Christ died and paid and atoned for their sins. In other words, the Lamb's Book of Life contains the, the names of those that have been born again who Christ bore the punishment of that sin. Therefore, they don't bear the punishment of that sin. But those on that day, they're pleased about how, oh God, we, we didn't know. Oh God, I'm so, so God, this and oh God, that. It is to silence their pleas. Because there, there is no record of their sins being paid for. Therefore, they are judged by their works. Therefore, they are their own legal defense. Therefore, they will pay for their sin in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. But oh, the church, we won't for Christ has and that is what Calvary has done. That is the new covenant we have in His blood. And we, we have been delivered from this terrible judgment. But not so these that are standing there. Not so. So John saw a great white throne. He saw the dead standing before that throne. He saw books that were opened. Number four, he saw the absence of an advocate. Now I'm reading this, this is there indirectly. He doesn't mention that he doesn't see the advocate, but there is no advocate there. Why would I say this and put it this way? Well, this is the same John. The John who wrote the book of the Revelation is the same John that wrote the epistle of 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, he wrote this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have a defender. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. But notice, there's no advocate here. You see, when the enemy of our souls tries to accuse us, Jesus is our advocate. He's got us. I've dealt with their sin. I have atoned for their sin. But not so here. There is no one to speak in the defense of the lost person. You see, in that moment of the great white throne judgment, the sinner stands on their own. And all they have to offer... Are there filthy works? That's it. It will be a sure, swift, and quick sentence. There'll be no debate. There will be no cross-examination. Guilty. Guilty. Banished. Forever. That is a horrific thought. Number five, what did John see? He saw the great and dreadful final sentence that awaits all sinners, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what John writes. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. I'll say that again. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. Wow. The lake of fire is a horrific place. Over in Revelation chapter 21 that we'll get to eventually on Sunday nights or maybe a Sunday morning, who knows. Um, John writes these words. Uh, beginning in verse 6, he says, And he said to me, It is done. That's Jesus talking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And understand, there's nothing unsavable about any of those sins that he mentioned, but these are people that never repented. They never came to Christ. This was who they were. This is who they were. Wow. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 about those that will eventually be there. He says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. You hear that? The destruction is eternal. It goes on and on and on. It's not, some people try and teach that there's this immediate annihilation, and you're just done and over with. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's eternal. You'd have to rewrite the whole of Scripture. And some do. Or they make up their own little Bibles. <laughs> some do. But my friend, on that day there will be no appeal. This is the final sentence of the Supreme Court of the universe. Wow. I would close by asking, do you realize how fast time is passing? I mean, the older I get, the faster it is. I mean, Archie, you've got to be dizzy. Man, it's going by so fast. But really, it seems like just yesterday I was walking the halls of Hillcrest High School. Now I've got son that's going to be married in December, end of December, and a daughter that starts college at the University of Alabama here in a week, a week and a half. Wow! But that's a reminder that our death is coming. We don't know when it is. Nobody's promised tomorrow. But I can sure assure you that we're closer 
to our own death than we obviously were when I began preaching this morning. And, and we can't escape it. You know, the only... I mean, it's a point where a man wants to die and then the judgment. And you say, well, when Jesus returns, those that are alive are caught up with him in the air. Well, I got news for you. That physical body's got to die before it's glorified. Maybe it dies in the process of going on up. But it, death's coming. Death's coming. It's coming. What, what then? What then? What, what will be your defense on that day? What will be? Well, Lord, I was a good Baptist. He's not impressed. Well, Lord, I was a good Presbyterian. He's not impressed. Well, now, Lord, I went to the church of Christ. He knows you're just a Campbellite. He's not impressed. Oh, you didn't catch that theological joke. Brother Truman did. <laughs> He's not impressed. In that moment, there is only one defense, and it is our defender, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. My friend, have you trusted in Christ? Is your faith resting in Christ? Do you cling to Him? I'm not asking you... Did you go through some little ritual? I'm not asking you were you confirmed and affirmed by the, by the institutional church. I'm not asking those kinds of things. Have you been born of God? Have you? Wow. If not... My word to you is simple. Leave this. Repent. <laughs> Repent and trust in Christ alone. Trust in Christ alone. He is a mighty Savior. Let's bow our heads. Precious Father, we thank you for today. God, may we be moved by the reality of the great white throne judgment. If we're your church, Lord, may we be moved to worship. May we be moved to humility. May we be moved to awe and gratefulness and thankfulness to you. If, Lord, we are not born again, Lord, may we be moved and made new in Christ today. Lord, it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen and amen.